strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. I'm Jen. And tonight we are going to talk about P.T. Barnum's Freak Show. I don't think freak is a nice word to see you, so Robin. You know what? I didn't think so either. Trust me, I was doing research on this whole thing. And the word freak, I do not like, but it is said throughout everything. So yeah. I apologize now for all the terms I'm going to say. But we are drinking. It's a beautiful, beautiful bottle. It's uh, it's called Freak Show, a Michael David joint Cabernet Sauvignon. And the bottle is absolutely beautiful. On the back, the barcode is actually a Freak Show admission ticket. It's definitely on topic. So P.T. Barnum started to promote the human novelties he called freaks in his traveling show in 1835. And he opened, yeah, 1835. And he opened his larger freak show at the American Museum of Manhattan in 1841. After a fire in 1868, Barnum founded P.T. Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan, and Circus. That's a fucking mouthful. That is a lot of money on marketing. I know. Imagine like... Are you, you paying by the letter? In, uh, in 1881, the circus came under joint management and ownership with James Bailey and James Hutchinson in 1887. And that's when Barnum and Bailey's great show on Earth was found. P.T. Barnum died in, 18, in 1891, and the circus was acquired by the Ringling Brothers in 1907. A Adventure that led to the development of the Reeling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus in 1919. Hmm. Throughout all of these changes, one thing's always remained the same, and it was the presentation of the human attractions, or also known as freaks. Barnum presented intriguing individuals with unique bodies and minds, as well as wild and exotic bar- marvels. Sometimes my voice just gives out. I'm like a 12-year-old boy. Without the pimples and B.O.? No, it was all my years of smoking. One I can't tell them from The Simpsons. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. I like smoke a cigarette through your tracheostomy hole. It's fine. It goes in the same places and you get the same results. (laughs) Many of the sideshow performers became famous and even wealthy, but others were exiled from society while trying to find new work or homes after their time at the circus. So Barnum's exploitation of his so-called freaks has not been without criticism or imperial culture in the 19th and the 20th centuries, but the lives of these people known as freaks make for some interesting tales. There are a total of 35 registered human attractions in Barnum's, and it's not just Barnum's freak show, but it's also Barnum Bailey's and, and everything, and, and it's not just a, sp- a specific time, because a lot of them started in the beginning, left, and came back 20 years later. There are so many people that just kept on coming back and coming back but there was different situations that made him leave in the first place like the fire or when Pete and Barnum died and they didn't feel like that father figure that they had forever so they left but there are 35 so 35 over the course of all of the years yeah. of the circus so, I'm not so we're gonna, talking 1835 so when did they stop using the human attractions like was it like 20s well, 30s it was, 40s it was in the 1920s because okay. in 1919 was, or when Bottom died in 19 uh, in 1891, and then everyone kind of went their separate ways, and then the Ringling Brothers took up the Barley Bailey Circus. So Ringling Brothers never really adapted to the freak show. So while I know that you're about to tell me about some of these people, mm-hmm. I am going. I to- feel like I'm going to have you know. So I did watch the lovely Zac Efron. Oh, it was beautiful. Hugh Jackman it was movie. Beautiful. I did 100 percent watch it and say that I know this is glossed over. I know that this guy was totally messed up. Mm-hmm. You can see the like, as much as they tried to gloss it over, you can still tell. He basically just shut the door on them. 
you know, they hear that the circus was invited to this great big party that is going to have a lot of investors and everything. And they show up kind of like, oh, this is our party. And the door slammed in their face. Right now, I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of these people, these so and like quote unquote human attractions that they hired and they use. And I hate every single part of this because when I was when I was uh, researching this and I was looking up all this information, I I felt like a piece of shit because I am one of those people that would pay money yeah. to go to our local carnival and see this like freak show exhibit you know and i'm like oh fuck all right you know and then i'm I'm reading it back in 1800s and 1900s of these beautiful people and what they had to go through so there are 35 of them but i'm only going to say a few and if we have time i'll go through and i'll say some more but the first one i'm going to talk about is joyce heath and she is also known as 161 year old woman Barnum found Joyce in 1835 from a man in Kentucky who was displaying her as George Washington's nurse. She was blind, toothless, paralyzed in both legs and one arm and had long curled fingernails. Her previous work in Kentucky claimed that Joyce was 161 years old and that's how Barnum displayed her. She was on display for hours a day, six days a week. She was supposedly from Madagascar, but the real story of Joyce's life was never really known. She passed away in February of 1836 where Barnum sold tickets to her autopsy. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Trying like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. <laughs> podcasts on yeah podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus watch it on the youtube he's aging himself way to make a buck Robin. <laughs> i know and it, it, it just gets worse <laughs> no, Robin, no. yeah yeah so just no my if, heart hurts okay so but people need so to know to her autopsy yeah and it it gets worse from there. So Myrtle Corbin, the four-legged woman. A native of Tennessee, Myrtle was billed by Barnums as the four-legged woman. She was born in 1868 as a dipigus. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but it was it's a person with two of everything from the navel down, including two pelvises and four legs. She was put on display as an infant by her father, who toured her around the country. Her father negotiated a contract with Barnum and Bailey when she was about 13 to 14 years old. Myrtle was paid $250 a week until she left the circus in 1886. She was incredibly popular and her reproductive and sexual abnormalities were particularly interesting. She went on to marry and have children after which she returned to a life in the circus in 1909. She wasn't asked to display her lady parts, but the marketing material makes it a point to ponder her sexual and reproductive capabilities. She had kids? Mm-hmm. I am fully aware that this is exploitation of the worst type, mm-hmm. right? On a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. But $250 a, a week. week. Yeah. She in was extremely popular. 60? 
She was in 1886. 1886. Then she left, had got married, had babies, and then returned in 1909. I guess her kids were growing up. She's like, all right, I'm So my back. first job in 1996, full time, I didn't make $250 <laughs> a week. In 1996, so 110 years later, I did not make it my good paying, decent job for an 18 year old. She a week. What she made then. And then she went on and had married and had kids. Mm hmm. I mean, well, she was a hot commodity then. Not clearly. She's like, hey, she's making more money than me. I mean, I'll tell you, I got enough problems with one vagina. I ain't looking to have two. Two pelvises, four legs. I'm, I'm good. It's a lot of hair to shave. There's I'm no, sorry, that's fucked up. But, there's no you know, Brazilian. You have to kind of make a joke out of it. Sometimes. I mean, we have to, right? Otherwise, she was wealthy. She was happy. She had everything, and she, she went back about it. Jesus, Rob. <laughs> and she went back. So the other one that I'm going to talk about is his name is General Tom Thumb. Barnum found, well, actually his real name is Charles Sherwood Stratton. And he was from Connecticut. And when the boy was only five years old, um, Barnum found him. So Thumb was under two feet tall. And Barnum told audiences that he was an 11-year-old General Tom Thumb. That's it. Mm-hmm. No, Charles toured immediately as part of Barnum's Freak Show, winning the Audisons and fans, uh, including Queen Victoria, during a European tour in 1844. He made both Barnum and himself very wealthy. <clears throat> so in, uh, in 1863, Charles married another little person named Lavinia. Good for him. And she, w- she also worked for Barnum, but she arrived the previous year. Their wedding was an enormous event in Manhattan with guests who had paid big money to witness their marriage. And not only that, but the couple couple toured with a baby that posed to be their own even though they had no children and general tom thumb passed away in 1883 where thousands of people attended his funeral he's a celebrity yeah but now he's married he has children well now he doesn't have children but he's married he's married and he pretends that he has children i always (laughs) felt like i would really enjoy a traveling show you know because like i'm a big fan of wwe and it's kind of like a modern day circus (laughs) i mean let's be real right you just travel from town to town and put on a show yeah and then you You put on a show you practice but then you work out all the time every single day honestly though if someone had if someone paid me to work all the time i would so the next one i'm gonna talk about i didn't like that first one though it's making me pour more water <laughs> so the next one they called her madame clufilia and she was known as the bearded one the, the bearded lady josephine boistedichene it's b-o-i-s-e-d-e-c-h-e-n-e girl you are trying too hard josephine displayed excessive gr- hair growth from a younger age with a beard by the age of two and a two-inch facial hair by the age of eight. Her parents showcased their daughter when she was 16 when she had a six-inch long beard. I mean, I feel like most people would have just bought their daughter a pair of tweezers. Oh, that's a lot. When were tweezers invented? Since the beginning of time? I don't know, man. I mean, like, there are some ways to get rid of hair throughout history. Tweezers? We should do the history of waxing. (gasps) So Josephine met an artist named Fortuna Clofulia in 1851 fell in love and had the and the two were married they had two children but one passed away as an infant shortly after Josephine now the madame she made her way to New York to work for Barnum's American Museum she was called the beard lady and given claims that she was actually a man played up her femininity as much as possible with elaborate dresses and jewelry and more of explosive performances while singing and dancing and trying to show people that she was actually a woman and not a man lady it up her son named Albert put on display at Barnum's as well. The next person I'm going to talk about is Isaac Sprock, and he was known as a living skeleton. Much like other living skeletons, Isaac was considered to be a normal kid uh, until about the age of 12. On, hold on, I'm sorry. 
What the sweet shit is a living <laughs> skeleton besides, I would say, a very skinny person is all I can. So thing is, though, is that Isaac, when he was a child, he was considered a normal size. So up until he was 12, he started losing lar- large amounts of weight. And without any explanation, he was emancipated and had a difficult time finding work until he was about the age of 24 when he visited one of the sideshows that that was passing through town in Massachusetts. In 1865, Isaac and P.T. Barnum negotiated a contract to add Isaac to the show. After, so he probably had a thyroid problem. It was much more than thyroid because, so after the big fire of 1868, Isaac took a break, got married, had three children, which none of them showed any symptoms of his condition. He went back to the circus and toyed while progressively becoming weak and weaker. He passed away in 1887 at five feet, six inches in height, but his lowest weight was 43 pounds. Holy crap. That's a lot bigger than just a thyroid problem. 43 pounds and his children have no right like no symptoms of his of his disease huh and it's also in all the 35 people from the show he's not the only living skeleton and also there's a lot of people in the show that are women that married living skeletons but they never performed they just toured with their wives bottom continued to display the living skeletons throughout his show but some of them had added features for example alexander montarg he was also a living skeleton but he played the the violin so it's like oh maybe it's like a like an issue where they weren't like able to like actually like absorb nutrition. Maybe. Stop trying to medically diagnose no, no, living skeleton, you're, uh, Jennifer. You're nursing it up. Do you want to hear some more? Yeah. All right. So let's, I mean, uh, I do. I don't. <laughs> do you want to hear about the dog boy? Yes. All right. So let's talk about dog boy. Okay. Theodore was born in Russia in 1868. And prior to joining Barnum's show, he toured with his father, who also had excessive hairiness. <laughs> He made his way. Just, just, just hairy. He's just hairy. I mean, dog boy. He's just hairy. He was just Mediterranean. He made his way to to the U.S. with Barnum in 1884 and was uh, pitted uh, against his father as a wild savage. Fear barked, growled, and acted like an angry dog. <sighs> he was one of Barnum's most popular performers. And when a group of performers complained that they disliked being called the freaks in 1898, he was at the forefront as a protester. That he was against being, being called, called a freak. freak. Yeah. But also, yeah, who actually pretended to be a dog. Mm-hmm. Frontier. But, you know, a responsibility of the individual. If you don't want to be called a freak, maybe don't growl for a living. You know? Honestly, someone please pay me to growl for a living. Please. I mean, I am excellent at pretending to be a puppy. I will accept <laughs> scratches behind the ears and I will probably pee on your rug. So the revolt of the freaks occurred in 1898 and it was a collection of the 40 or so most famous performers. They staged a labor strike while on tour in London. I just imagine them with like like, like picketing signs but it's like tom thumb who's like two feet tall <laughs> the bearded lady she's like and all the, about she's like, oh, the bearded lady she's like combing the beard so they demanded that the management of the circus remove the term freak from all promotional materials for their shows seems reasonable i mean it's pretty fucking offensive yeah, absolutely absolutely uh, a campaign to produce a new name was instigated and the term prodigy was adopted by the so-called council of freaks prodigy mm-hmm. yeah that but seems so weird i like human attraction they formed a council and they referred to themselves the council of freaks so they named it council of freaks even though they wanted to, not to be get called the, mm-hmm. freaks so they seem a little conflicted it yeah. seems like a small amount mm-hmm. so i think i think what it was is that they were okay with, with referring 
referring to themselves as a freak and them as a cult like community like we are the council of freaks but we do not want you to refer to us as a yeah i mean freak. i think that like a lot of times people you know in communities that are not part of mainstream mm-hmm. culture they view themselves in a certain way and they're okay with using nomenclature within, within themselves, themselves. Yeah. but they don't want outsiders if you will or yeah. the and mainstream person to say that it's like i can call myself a bitch but you better not better call me a bitch now yeah good good fucking luck with that (laughs) so the the intensity of this controversy reflected and magnified the popularity of the freak shows making the possibility that the whole new revolt was actually a publicity stunt you know what that's just like barnum or was this after his time oh no no it was during yeah it was right before the it was right during the merge of he was big on that yeah he was a publicity fucking machine yeah i mean can you imagine what he would do today if he was still around adapting all he would he would have so many followers on instagram (laughs) i'm excited about our hundred he would he would millions uh, millions Millions. imagine him with a youtube channel he would be like fucking kardashians oh my god God, yes. Right? So, by the middle of the 20th century, freak shows had suffered a major decline in popularity. Many factors as to why contributed to the decline are that they developed more of a medical model of disability, which replaced the freak show's narrative and wonder with the with the one of pathology. Yeah, that's so, like when I was talking before. It's like, I just get like upset, like, and I hope that they're like cared for. They're cared for. I mean, they they went back. You know, like after no, know. after their term, they would leave. They would have families, have children, well, and, and they would like, go back. I'm sure that a lot of the the disabilities that these individuals had were, you know, cured. Mm-hmm. You know, like they'd be like, "Oh, we just need to give her some estrogen supplements, and now she won't have a beard." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. right. Yeah, but that was the thing. Like the medical model was adapting every day, and so every time they saw one of these people, they're like, "Oh, you know what? We can do something about this. We can help this person." Right. And so that in all kind of declined the whole freak show. Yeah, like they cured the human skeleton's tapeworm. Exactly. So also another reason for the decline was the advances in roller coasters and other amusement parks. I mean, I guess it was some more fun shit to do, right? Yeah. I mean, the mechanical amusement park ride technology, which helped make rides cheaper to run and more profitable than the actual freak shows. And... Yeah, because they didn't have to pay a person. They buy the equipment and only one person one, run it. Yep. Right? It's like yeah. just, they invest so much money in one time and they use it for as many as many years. They keep fixing or whatever other than just paying the salary of 40 plus people. Yeah. Another reason for the decline in freak shows is the rise of cinema and television. I'm going to focus on the happy endings, but I am going to state that as a person who is from Tennessee, I did notice that the first two were from Kentucky and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had some judgments about how they ended up that way. Though I was pretty happy about the one lady who had the, like, it's not two hips, two pelvises. Two, two pelvises, pelvises for four legs. legs, yeah. I want to say more than half had a really, a really happy ending. But it sucked because death was still sold as, as a show to most parts. And I mean, to be that, honest with you, though, like, you think about celebrity, right? That's true. Like, imagine... The funeral of Princess Diana, the funeral of Whitney Houston, the pr- like the, all these Michael Jackson. Yeah, even their death was public. So it's shitty to say, but it's like human nature to like want to watch and want to see something that's different, something exciting, something that teaches you something, something that makes you feel something different along with an entire community and your mm-hmm. entire, like the entire world. 
when Michael Jackson died, the world watched. Is that right? I'm not sure. But is it humanity? And has, has it always been humanity? I think so. While you tell me these stories, I hate that a lot of them I know were medically very ill. Mm-hmm. And I worry about that. Mm-hmm. But then I also know that given the medical services at the time, what were their options? You know? They just made money. They if lived they were, and made money. They lived. They made money. They mm-hmm. had wives. They had children. Mm-hmm. These are things that wouldn't, they would not have had those things if they had not gotten involved with, you know, the traveling show. I know. You know, it's terrible to say and it's hard to read. Someone's death could be like watched in that way, but like it's still the same today. And not even just that, even with true crime, like people still paw all over the idea of like Jean Benet Ramsey. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think that in today's age, they would never allow somebody who's actually medically unwell to be put on display to be put on display for a monetary value such as a person without Mm -hmm. arms and legs or a person or a person with like microcephaly oh jesus what was that mosquito disease the one just a couple years ago oh zika zika right so everyone was worried they they were gonna get zika because of microcephaly right they had to feel a certain amount of community. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why would that's they keep going back? That's a big part, I think, is just that they just felt so welcome. Because agreed. there are so many people there that are in their same predicament. If you told me right now that I could go somewhere and just sit in front of a group of people and make the 2018 equivalent of $250 a week. Bye. See you later. <laughs> put me in a bikini. The woman of incredible stretch marks. It would be amazing. <laughs> Sell the tickets, baby. No problem. At the end of the day, these um, these people that were, you know, at that time were considered freaks were just beautiful people. I don't know, though. I feel pretty cool having listened to their story. Today, yeah, so. exactly. They they thrived. They, they, you know, they did what they want to do. And it's just P.T. Barnum's Freak Show. Just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to notoriousnarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at Notorious Narratives and Twitter at Notorious Tales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.